Anyone looking to find Sasquatch may want to start in western Pennsylvania. An online organization tracking the numbers found 95 sightings in Westmoreland County, according to the Patriot News website. A separate study conducted for the Travel Channels in Search of Monsters looked at data from the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. They found 23,000 sightings reported since the 1950s. All right, back to that story that uh, had a lot of people talking in the newsroom today of the video uh, purportedly of Bigfoot. New video there, Dr. Melba Ketchum. We all know the story of the teddy bear, Teddy Roosevelt. But do you know the story of Teddy Roosevelt's monster? On this episode of The Soul Trap, we don't talk about the teddy bear. We talk about the teddy monster, something lurking in the darkness. There is something out there in the woods, something in the dark. Unexplainable, yes. There, yes. Throughout history, whether it be Sasquatch or Yeti, whether it be Bigfoot or Skunk Ape, men and women and children have encountered in different ways and at different times across the geographic and cultural spectrum something out there in the woods. We call it Bigfoot. But what is Bigfoot? Some would argue that it is indeed a biological entity. A biological zoological anomaly that has yet to be cataloged, but one day will be caught and will be added to the list of animals that we thought never existed, only to find out that they did. But others believe they are something different. More. Some believe that they are spectral, dimensional, Beings that seem to flash in and out of our existence. And some frightfully believe that they are somehow a merger. A sick, sardonic merger of man and beast, of demon and angel. Whatever Bigfoot is, there is a world of thought around it. And as yet, no one has been able to find proof. But the stories are numerous. Stories are told over and over and over of people that have encountered from Mount Shasta to the Siberian Peninsula of these encounters. Some of them are pedestrian, some of them are casual, some of them are easily explained as imagination run wild, and some of them are harder to explain, and some of them are quite frightening. There has even grown up now a body of audio evidence. People who have been in the woods and recorded the sounds of knocking. Others have recorded the sounds of howling, of noises, of communication. But there is a large and growing body of people that say 
something is out there. Of course, it's very easy to discount them. They're looking for their 15 minutes of fame. They're looking to get a book deal. Or simply put, they're looking to be interviewed on the soul trap. But the truth of the matter is, not everybody who has claimed to see a Bigfoot, not everybody who has claimed to encounter those beasts of the shadows, are weird, strange, tinfoil hat-wearing soul trappers. There are people that have claimed to encounter these beasts or to have known firsthand of their validity that you and I would consider credible. One such man who claimed to have heard a story and claimed to have credible, albeit secondhand, evidence of a Bigfoot is one of our presidents, President Teddy Roosevelt. I want you to come with me. Maybe turn out the lights, maybe get your cup of coffee, and relax. And let me tell you the story, as told by Teddy Roosevelt, of his encounter with those things in the woods. In his book, Teddy Roosevelt tells the story, I have heard but few ghost stories while living on the frontier, and a few were of a perfectly commonplace and conventional type. But I once listened to a goblin story which rather impressed me. It was told by a grizzled, weather-beaten old mountain hunter named Ballman, who was born and had passed all his life on the frontier. He must have believed what he said, for he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points of the tale. But he was of a German ancestry and in childhood had doubtless been saturated with all kinds of ghost and goblin lore so that fearsome superstitions were latent in his mind. Besides, he knew well the stories told by the Indian medicine men in their winter camps of the snow walkers and the specters and the formless evil beings that haunt the forest depths and dog and waylay the lonely wanderer who after nightfall passes through the regions where they lurk. And it may be that when overcome by the horror of the fate that befell his friend, and when oppressed by the awful dread of the unknown, he grew to attribute both at the time and still more in remembrance weird and elfin traits to what was merely some abnormally wicked and cunning event. When the event occurred, Ballman was still a young man and was trapping with a partner among the mountains, dividing the forks of the Salmon from the head of Wisdom River. Not having had much luck, he and his partner determined to go up into a particularly wild and lonely pass through which ran a small stream said to contain many beaver and mink pelts. The pass has an evil reputation because the year before, a solitary hunter who had wandered into it was there slain, seemingly by a wild beast. Half-eaten remains being afterwards found by some mining prospectors who had passed his camp only the night before. The memory of this event, however, weighed very lightly with the two trappers, who were as adventurous and hardy as other of their kind. They took two lean mountain ponies to the foot of the pass where they left them in an open beaver meadow, the rocky timber-clad ground being from thence onwards impractical for horses.
They then struck out on foot through the vast, gloomy forest, and in about four hours reached a little open glade where they concluded to camp as signs of game were plenty. There was still an hour or two of daylight left, and after building a brush lean-to and throwing down and opening their packs, they started up the stream. The country was very dense and hard to travel through, as there was much down timber, although here and there the somber woodland was broken by small glades of mountain grass. At dusk, they again reached camp. The glade in which it was pitched was not many yards wide, the tall, close-set pines and firs rising round it like a wall. On one side was a little stream, beyond which rose the steep mountain slopes covered with the unbroken growth of the evergreen forest. They were surprised to find that during their short absence, something, apparently a bear, had visited their camp and had rummaged about among their things, scattering the contents of their packs and in sheer wantonness, destroying their lean-to. The footprints of the bear were quite plain, but at first they paid no particular heed to them, busying themselves with rebuilding the lean-to, laying out their beds and stores, and lighting the fire. While Balnan was making ready supper, it being already dark, his companion began to examine the tracks a bit more closely, and soon took a brand from the fire to follow them up where the intruder had walked along a game trail after leaving the camp. When the brand flickered out, he returned and took another, repeating his inspection of the footprints very closely. Coming back to the fire, he stood by it a minute or two, peering out into the darkness. And suddenly, quietly remarked, Bauman, that bear was walking on two legs. Bauman laughed at this, but his partner insisted that he was right. Whatever it was, was walking on two legs. And upon gaining and examining again the tracks with the torch, they certainly did seem to be paws, but only two. However, it was too dark to make sure. After discussing whether the footprints could possibly be those of a human being, and coming to the conclusion that they could not be, the two men rolled up in their blankets and went to sleep under the lean-to with something on two legs in the darkness. At midnight, Bauman was awakened by some noise and sat up in his blankets. As he did so, his nostrils were struck by a strong, wild beast odor, and he caught the loom of a great body in the darkness at the mouth of the lean-to. Grasping his rifle, he fired at the vague, threatening shadow, but must have missed, for immediately afterwards he heard the smashing of the underwood as the thing, whatever it was, rushed off into the impenetrable blackness of the forest in the night. After this, the two men slept, but little Roosevelt conveys. Sitting up by the rekindled fire, but they heard nothing more. In the morning, they started out to look at the few traps they had set the previous evening and put out new ones. By an unspoken agreement, they kept together all day and returned to camp towards evening. 
On nearing it, they saw, hardly to their astonishment, that the lean-to had again been torn down. The visitor of the preceding day had returned, and in wanton malice had tossed about their camp kit and bedding and destroyed the shanty. The ground was marked up by its tracks, and on leaving the camp, it had gone along the soft earth by the brook, where the footprints were as plain as if on snow. And after a careful scrutiny of the trail, it certainly did seem as if, whatever the thing was, it had walked off on two legs. The men, thoroughly uneasy, now gathered a great heap of dead logs and kept up a roaring fire throughout the night, one or the other sitting on guard for most of the night. About midnight, the thing came down through the forest, opposite across the brook and stayed there on the hillside for nearly an hour. They could hear the branches crackle as it moved about and several times it uttered a harsh, grating, long, drawn-out moan, a peculiarly sinister sound. Yet it never ventured near the fire to be seen. In the morning, the two trappers, after discussing the strange events the frightening events of the last 36 hours decided they would shoulder their packs and leave the valley that afternoon. They were the more ready to do this because in spite of seeing a good deal of game sign, they had caught very little fur. However, it was necessary first to go along the line of their traps and gather them, and this they started out to do. All the morning they kept together, picking up trap after trap, each one empty. On first leaving the camp, they had the disagreeable sensation of being followed. In the dense spruce thickets, they occasionally heard a branch snap after they had passed, and now in them there were slight rustling noises among the pines to one side of them. At noon, however, they were back within a couple miles of camp. In the high, bright sunlight, their fears seemed a little bit absurd. The two armed men, accustomed as they were through the long years of lonely wandering in the wilderness to face every kind of danger from man, brute, or element, now begin to re-examine their own fears. There were still three traps to collect from the little pond in a wide ravine nearby. Bauman volunteered to gather these and bring them in while his companion went ahead to camp and made ready the packs. On reaching the pond, Bauman found three beaver in the traps, one of which had been pulled loose and carried into the beaver house. He took several hours securing and preparing the beaver, the pelts, and when he started homeward, he marked with some uneasiness how low the sun was getting. As he hurried toward camp under the tall trees, the silence and desolation of the forest began to weigh on him. His feet made no sound on the pine needles, and the slanting sun rays striking through among the straight trunks made a gray twilight in which objects at a distance seemed indistinct. There was nothing to break the ghostly stillness which, when there is no breeze, always broods over the somber primeval forests. At last he came to the edge of the little glade where the camp lay and shouted as he approached it, but no answer. The campfire had gone out. Though the thin blue smoke was still curling upward, 
there was no sign of fire, no sign of his companion. Near it lay the packs, wrapped and arranged. At first, Bauman could see nobody, nor did he receive an answer to his call. Stepping forward, he again shouted. As he did so, his eye fell on the body of his friend, stretched out beside the trunk of a great fallen spruce. Rushing toward it, the horrified trapper found that the body was still warm, but that the neck was broken, and there were four great fang marks in the throat. The footprints of the unknown beast creature printed deep in the soft soil told the whole story. The unfortunate man, having finished his packing, sat down on the spruce log with his face to the fire and his back to the dense woods to wait for his companion. While thus waiting, his monstrous assailant, which must have been lurking nearby in the woods, waited for a chance to catch one of the adventurers unprepared. Apparently came silently up from behind, walking with long, noiseless strides and seemingly still on two legs. Evidently unheard, it reached the man and broke his neck by wrenching his head back with its hands while it buried its teeth in his throat. It had not eaten the body, but apparently had romped round it in an uncouth, ferocious-like glee, occasionally rolling over and over it, and had then fled back into the soundless depths of this frightful forest. Bauman, utterly unnerved and believing that the creature with which he had to deal was something either half-human or half-devil, some great goblin beast abandoned everything but his rifle and struck off at speed down the pass, not halting until he reached the meadows where the hobbled ponies were still grazing. Mounting, he rode onward through the night until far beyond the reach of pursuit. That is the story of Bauman, as told by one of the presidents of the United States of America. These were two experienced trappers, Adventurous men, powerful men, fearless men, and yet, for all of their fearlessness, there was something that they feared in those woods. What was it that frightened Bauman? What was it that killed his companion? What is it that is lurking in the great forests of this world? What is Bigfoot? Is Bigfoot simply a zoological, uncatalogued anomaly? Or is there something more? Does it flee us because it fears us? Or does it hide from us to observe us? Bauman and his demised companion found out the hard way what lurks in the shadows of our forests. And likewise, down through the years, many have found the hard way that there is something out there. It is not a bear. It is not an ape. It is a being of some kind, as observant as we are, as cunning as the predators among us are. What is out there in the woods? What is Bigfoot? What will we find the deeper we go into the forests of darkness? You are my arms, man! Arms.
Speed!